Hey everybody, welcome to Kern Talks, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church's podcast, where we revisit the message from this week's church service. I'm Chris DeCue, the worship leader and producer at Kern Church. We know you're busy and maybe don't have time to watch the video for a whole service. Well, we got you covered with Kern Talks. With that said, let's hear Steve Paul's message from Sunday, January 2nd, Hoping to Hope the Right Hope. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. It's January 2nd now, and the Advent season is behind us. Christmas is all boxed up and ready for next year. So what's next? Good morning, and welcome to this virtual service of Kern Memorial United Methodist Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Those of you who are regulars in this space might be expecting to see Reverend Jim Bales standing here. Jim has a bunch of family commitments this week that uh, necessitated him being away during the time he might be preparing a sermon, so he asked for a little help from me. My name is Steve Paul. I've been a part of the laity here at Kern for 33 years, and in addition to some long-time lay leader duties and adult Sunday school leading, I was actually an associate pastor of here of sorts for about three years not so long ago. I did not earn that title with education or with jurisdictional degree, and it's not even really a title. It's just a hat I wore for a little while here during a time of need at Kern. Anyway, that's enough about me. I'm really glad you've chosen to tune in this morning and share some worship time with us. I hope that you find it gratifying. I hope that you find it challenging. Let's prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Our call to worship this morning is adapted from Psalm 100. Please hear these words. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. The gospel today comes from the first chapter of John, the first 14 verses. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. These are the words of God for the people of God. As we begin the message time, I'd like to ask you for just a moment of prayer. Let's bow our heads, please. Heavenly Father, I ask your guidance in this moment that you would work in my voice and in my thoughts and in the hearing of those who would hear and correct whatever it is I would say such that your word is heard this morning. In all things, hide myself and all those who would hear in the shadow of the cross such that your glory is revealed. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title of my sermon today, to those of you who know me best, sounds a little bit facetious. It's called Hoping to Hope the Right Hope. But this time I think I left out the facetious, at least intentionally, I hope that it's named appropriately today. And if you'll stay with me for just a few minutes, maybe I'll be able to justify that for you just a little bit. I think most of you are probably familiar with the verses of the first chapter of John's Gospel today. I know you've probably heard it in sermons a few times. You've probably read it a few times. Perhaps it's come up in Sunday school. I have heard it dozens of times, read it a similar number of times, and yet as I studied it this week, I found that I became unsettled by it when I was preparing for this message. And that was uncomfortable. Uncomfortable not so much because of what was said, but I think more for what was not said. A word, maybe a phrase or a general concept seems to be missing, particularly as we consider this lectionary described text in the afterglow of the Advent season. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, culminates all of Advent for those of us at this time of year. And in of itself, that's almost too much to handle. It's too big a thought. But on top of that, consider the idea that God was somehow or other this Messiah needs a bridge, it needs a practical link to the things that John says are the direct outcomes of that concept. He says that we receive the gift of life that is for all mankind, the light that is the life of all mankind. And in verse 12, we're given the opportunity to become children of God. So what is it that's missing? My first guess is hope is the word that's missing. But it's some kind of term that bridges the change of fortune between this distant and can't quite grab at hope to something that's more contemporary and more tangible. So, for children of the New Testament, that is, those of us who have come, our time has come after the original Christmas, us, the call of the Advent season is for us to set aside some time to reflect upon what it must have been like in the time of the people of faith to live 
before the promise of Messiah, whatever Messiah was in their minds, before the promise of Messiah had been realized, before the source of confidence in the future had been dealt with, had been recognized. So both of those things, a Messiah, some confidence in the Hebrew nation, had been promised not for a few weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas like we do it every year, but for centuries they had been waiting. So in order for us to reflect properly on what that means in our Advent time, we have to go into serious, almost desperation anticipation mode. We have to plan and wait and think, and oh my gosh, I can't miss it. I have to be ready. So I have to study, I have to change, I have to repent. But ultimately, the call of the Advent, Advent season for us is something a little different than that. For us of the New Testament, it demands, I think, that we consider what changed for us across the event horizon we call Christmas. Once again, it seems to me that the the best term, the most descriptive thing, and the first fruit result of that thought is hope. So, I have a question for you. You don't have to yell out an answer at your computer monitor or your TV screen. But I do want you to think about this a little bit because it's a deceptively hard question. When you got up this morning, you sat up on the side of your bed, what would you say you hoped for today? At least speaking for myself, I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit that I'm not always sufficiently intelligent or sufficiently intentional or sufficiently much of anything else to articulate that kind of thought to myself, to my God, or much of anybody else. I'm pretty sure there's a fair fraction of us out there that can't possibly have such a creative and demanding thought before the second or third cup of coffee. And by the time that comes along, the day has happened in full speed and you've lost your opportunity to seriously think about something like that. You'll just get run over by the day. And there are others, and I'm fast approaching one of them, that sit up on the edge of the bed and do that little systems check where you make sure everything about you is working like it did yesterday and maybe doing an inventory of the things that aren't working quite as well as they should be. Yeah, that's a separate kind of problem, but it's a fear and a shortcoming that cause us not to hope the big picture thing. But whatever your excuse, and I'm sure there are 20 others, I think that ultimately it's the same. We don't really spend much time thinking about it, so we would have a hard time articulating that. And that makes it hard. And a further complication, and I'm sure most of you have already thought of it, I doubt we could even agree what hope means in the context of my question. For example, when you think of hope, do you think of items on a list of prayer requests? Or do you think of a to-do list? Is, noun, is, a, is hope a noun or a verb for you? The best example I know of this comes from my own life. At my house, we might say, my house is a little dirtier than some. That's because we have a lot of dust because we don't dust. Noun or verb. So, there you go. That's a, that's a tough call. 
But whatever you're feeling about that, noun, verb, or any other way you might articulate it, our world would tell us, our culture would tell us that you're all but crazy to have any kind of any hope at all because of all the problems our world has. I'm sure you can think of all the hot-button things that are on your list that make you angry, that make you stressful, that cause you anxiety, all those things. My own list might be we seem to hurt with a world of us versus them sort of thinking these days. The world at large is very, very poor. There's injustice everywhere you look. We're trashing our planet. We have such a hard time with social media run amok. Name something. The world is suffering with a virus that we can't seem to get the upper hand on now. All sorts of reasons not to have hope. What does the Bible tell us about hope? Is there a working definition there that might help us? The short answer for those who are trying to skip ahead is no, not really, but I can add a few thoughts to that. You might know that there are a lot of different English translation versions of the Bible. I found 62 when I tried this week. There are probably more than that. But ultimately, you appreciate that each one uses different words and phrases that try and get across the same general idea. And so that's to be expected. I could not study all 62 versions of English Bibles, but I did study a few of the most common ones. And I can offer this odd little trivia fact for you. In the New King James Bible, that's the one I read, the word hope appears in the entire Bible 151 times. Curiously, only two of those appear in the entirety of the Gospels. Only two times. When I can compare one particular text that uses the word hope to another text that when I find that same verse and it doesn't say hope, the most common interchanging word, substitutional word there, uses expectation instead of hope. And by itself, maybe that's an important clue for what we're doing. So, I want to share a couple of one-liners from the Bible with you. The New King James Version is what I will read from. And these are short and sweet, and uh, if you need them, you can call the church office and get the full citation if you'd like to follow that. But I want to read you these to show you the difference in how, even within a particular translation, the term hope is used very, very differently. For example, in Hebrews chapter 11, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, for the evidence of things not seen. How about 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? This is verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? So a different kind of hope. From the love chapter of 1 Corinthians, this is chapter 13, verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Psalm 31 may be one that's your favorite. Maybe you've got it on a little card in your wallet. Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. And finally, in Romans 5, the Apostle Paul builds an interesting little pyramid of how it is that hope 
comes to be. And he places hope at the top of this pyramid. Here are these words. We glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. So yet another kind of hope in the Bible. I've heard it said that hope is a mechanism, it's a psychological construct of some kind that helps us make sense of the apparent contradictions in our lives. The things that we see in the world around us that don't seem to line up with the things we thought we knew or we thought we taught, we were taught, or we thought maybe we should be expecting. I don't know how to exactly convey that to you in the simplest and straightforward way in this format, so I'm just going to consider a couple of quotations from people you may have heard of that offer an example of that kind of conflict that we need to try and understand how to deal with. The first one here I'm going to suggest to you, I was banging around on the internet looking for who said it originally, and that became a chore because I found it attributed to six or eight different people over a period of time of about 200 years. So I just quit looking. But that particular detail is not nearly as important as the thing that they said, the example I want to give you. And this is it. I believe that we are doomed to die, but that life is wonderful. That's a hard one to take in a little bit. Here's another one that's interesting. I pursued this one pretty far back. It comes from a Greek philosopher named Heraclitus. He lived 500 years prior to Christ. 500 years. And I'm emphasizing that for a particular point here. This quote I'm about to unload on you, I'm pretty sure every one of you out there associate with your own generation. And this is what he said. The only constant in life is change 500 years before Christ. So it's not just you, everybody. The last two I want to suggest to you, they're very simple. They're a little more spiritual than the former two. This one comes from Mother Teresa. And this is what she said a few years before she died. She said, I believe if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. And the last one is my favorite of this genre of thinking. It comes from Jesus Himself. And He said simply this, the first shall be last, and the last first. So, the thing those have in common is simply that we know, we're taught, we feel that God has wonderful things for us. He plans wonderful things for us. He gives us only wonderful things. Yet sometimes we see out in front of us that it doesn't look so wonderful. Hope is the mechanism that we use to deal with that. How do we find more of that? So I want to offer another example. This is a counterexample now. What hope is not. A kind of false hope. A to use a term we've already discussed, a misplaced expectation. I need a short parable from the New Testament to share with you uh, to help you grasp what I'm talking about. This comes from Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. It's very short. I don't think I'll lose you in this. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully and he thought within himself, saying, 
What shall I do since I have no more room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build even greater. And there I will store all my many crops and goods. And I will say to myself, Soul, you have laid up goods for so many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have gathered? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So the example there, what I want you to hear, is the thing that fouls that up about being rich toward God. It is a manufactured hope that is built on selfish human emotion, incomplete or improper prioritization of things in front of you, the things that aren't rich toward God. That's not a real hope. It doesn't make a real impact. It doesn't lead to real change. But I do believe that we as Christians, those of the faithful, those that are seeking, can manufacture hope that's meaningful. I'm going to give you a couple examples of how you do that. This manufactured hope is about being rich toward God. The first example I'd like to share comes from someone named Anne Lamott, L-A-M-O-T-T, I believe is her last name. She's a contemporary writer. Uh, at least in my opinion, she's written a, quite a number of pieces that are very uh, thoughtful about finding peace in a very turmoil-filled world. Uh, books, even, on the subject. And some of the topics are necessarily about hope when you're finding peace. And here's a particular thing that she said that really resonated with me, and I want to share it with you. This is what she said. We take action, soup kitchens, creek restoration, mentoring, and then the insight follows that by showing up to help others, I'm guaranteed that hope is present. Then my own hope increases. By creating hope for others, I end up awash in the stuff. Hear that again. By creating hope for others, I end up awash in the stuff. Wow, what a neat thought. One more I'd like to share with you comes from, at least by my reckoning and the kind of reading I regularly do, is pretty unusual. It comes from John Lennon of Beatles musical fame. At least to my eyes and ears, John Lennon tended to think of himself as a rather a-religious sort of philosopher. He tended to shy away from things of grace, things of what I'll say religion might be, and just considered him a thinker of big things, perhaps. But he said something that's a sneaky kind of profound to me, and I'd like to share it with you. This is what he said. Everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. And I think that's profound in several important ways, but the way that it makes manufactured hope make sense, I hope is obvious, that it depends on what your idea of okay is at the end of that. So, one more example for you. Do you know, do you recall that in Disciple Peter's writings, his first letter, he said of Jesus that he was his living hope. 
I want to share that thought with you here for just a second. The actual Bible verse is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, the resurrection of Jesus is so significant to Peter. It is so real and so personal to Peter that he feels like through that resurrection, through our belief in it, through our willingness to let God remake us, not recreate us, but begotten again, created directly of His loin, that we can participate in this amazing hope that is now, this living hope thing. It is not projected into the confusing and undeniable future. It is simply now. Anytime we need to grasp it. So, I owe you this. I've rattled on about hope a lot, and I've offered it to you in a lot of different ways. You have to find your own way to understand hope. But this is my way to sum it up. This is what I would suggest that you think of it as. Hope is the way that you organize your life. Hope is the way you live your life in full cooperation with grace. Not grace the person, not grace the nice social get-along. Grace, capital G. Get along with grace. So, think about that this week. Find something that works for you. Consider it closely. Peace be among you. And amen. Friends, I find it curious that Jesus does not use the word hope at all in the Bible in any of the text that I examined, any of the red letters, if that means something to you. But I think the answer is because Jesus does not hope. He does not have to hope. He personifies hope. He is our hope. Now, please receive this blessing. And now may the most excellent grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit, go with each of you now and always and give you peace. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.